human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and as always, I'm so delighted to welcome you to the show, whether you're listening to it live or whether you're listening to a download later. Today, we're going to talk about transforming our relationship with ourselves, each other, and the world. I recommend that you go to the self-improvement blog and take a look at our guest's picture, read the bio so you get more acquainted with her. I think she's somebody you're really going to want to know more about. When I was eight years old, we moved from California to Oklahoma where my new stepfather's family lived and I was introduced to cousins. I'd never had cousins and to me it was a precious gift even though two of them were only four years old and one was a tiny baby. I'll always remember being twice as old as they were. And, and even now I have trouble in my mind thinking of them as almost my age. I talked to the then baby this last Tuesday. She's 72 years old now, and so I'm certainly not twice her age. But in my mind, I still think that way. Because I was the old one, I often found myself in the position of watching and entertaining four-year-old Patsy and Nancy, and I became a storyteller. I had grown up on Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and other fairy tales, and I had a really active imagination. So I would improvise as needed. I'd make stuff up as we went along. Storytelling was big, and I became the go-to storyteller for the cousins for years after that, and the number of cousins grew. With hindsight, and especially after reading our guest's book, I realized I've been telling a fairy tale about myself sometimes, often or sometimes making things up when I needed to make the story more acceptable, even to myself and and also to others. Not big stuff, but little tweaks along the way, you know, to make, make me look good. Today we're going to talk about the stories we hold about ourselves and how rewriting them can transform our lives and our relationships. Rosamond, or Roz Zander, is a pioneer in the field of leadership and relationship. She has created a leadership model that coaches individuals to create a life of vision, passion, and contribution. Her writing, teaching, and coaching creates pathways to lives that are authentic and meaningful. As a family therapist and an executive coach, she develops models for leadership and effective action. Her work is detailed in her books, The Art of Possibility and Pathways to Possibility. She works with corporations, institutions, and teams to leave a system of business as usual and enter an abundant and generative realm. Sounds exciting to me. 
She has designed programs for global corporations and government agencies and has presented workshops in a wide variety of settings. Clients include Hampton Hilton Inns, IBM, Whirlpool, Harvard Medical School, and Carnegie Mellon University. And I am absolutely delighted to welcome Roz Zander to the Self-Improvement Show. Roz, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Irene. You know what? That sounds like a delicious story, all that you just said. (laughs) (laughs) It it was and is. (laughs) Yes. Um, And you know, I'm so interested, as you talked about your own childhood, of being eight and being the oldest one, just before we got on the show together, you mentioned how old you are and being older than I am. In fact, I think there's a six-year difference between us and age, but you've still ha- held the story, and it's an empowering one for you, I think, that you are older than the rest, and you can lead us. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I am older. <laughs> Let's start. Well, I think it really is part of your story. <laughs> oh, it definitely is, that, that whole move and having cousins and this wonderful, lovely family that I got into is really such an important part of my life. Uh, I could write a book about how lovely they are. We were, we were so blessed to have that. But let's start at the beginning about you. Tell us about yourself. Who is Roz Zander? Well, Roz Zander is a, a bit of, um, I would say, not a chameleon, but I've been through many, many different phases of life, I do believe that I've grown quite a bit. Some things I'm still stuck back in early years about. I I can feel that. But once I discovered that life is a story we tell and that when you want to change something in your life, you change the story. You don't try to change the circumstances out there. That is an enormously empowering thing to discover, and it has made all the difference in my life. So, well, for instance, I have in this new book called Pathways to Possibility um, a little chapter about writer's block. And I would go to a cabin south of Boston and work on, on the first book, the art, of, uh, the art of Possibility, and I didn't think anybody wanted to hear from me. So it, I got very slowed down, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't get writing, and I, you know, went to the refrigerator all the time and took the dog for a walk and got more and more miserable. Are we twins? I, <laughs> you know that? <laughs> when you, you're now fighting against the, yourself while you're trying to get something done? Oh, yes. So I finally, it dawned on me that the thing to do since I was writing about that was to change the story I had about writing instead of trying to discipline myself any further. And I did. I changed the story to be everything I do at the cabin south of Boston every, that I'd go to every weekend. Everything I do at the cabin is writing. Going to the refrigerator is writing. Taking naps is writing. Walking the dog is writing. Uh, cleaning the sink is writing. And also sitting at the computer is writing. 
and it that actually changed the story because once I saw that, and every time you do change a story, you see something new about life. I then was reminded that that our minds take our whole bodies take in eleven million bits per second of information. Apparently, I don't know what how big a bit is, but anyway. It's a comparative thing. 11 million bits, and our conscious minds can only deal with 16. So at that moment, I realized struggling to make myself right at a computer would not be a broad enough engagement to write a book about possibility. So it it came to me that walking outdoors and taking naps and going to the refrigerator (laughs) and being with a dog would give me what... It was writing. It would be informing the whole of me. And at that moment, I gave up the struggle and said to myself, every time, everything I do from the time I arrive at the cabin to the time I leave is writing. And it was true for me. And I lived the most delicious, easy life in a cabin that was on a pond and had birds singing and I could take long walks. And the book got written. And the book got written. As I understand it, you're in Maine now. Well, no, actually, I came down to Boston. But I oh, you came down to Boston. the summer in Maine. I had to be down here for an interview, a live interview. Um, in so how, how can people, people are going to want to look at your website. How can people find you? It's rosamondzander.com. And Rosamond is spelled R O S A. M U N D Z A N D E R dot com. And I recommend that you look at that website. You will be so delighted. And we're going to talk a little bit later on some of the things you'll find there. You are, in addition to being a therapist, an artist. You've had your paintings on on exhibit, and you've had some really great reviews. And I am going to go back and look at each of those that are on your website. <laughs> they are so beautiful. Talk a little about your paintings and how important that is to you. And, and I think I'm excited about it because somebody who can create paintings like you do has to be so sensitive to everything around you, which would certainly impact your uh, sensitivity and ability as a therapist. Do you see that in your own work, that the two work together so beautifully? Well, the way you just put it makes me see more of that than I have. Um, I think the sensitivity to beauty is something like the ability to love. And I would have to say that one of my, I wouldn't even call it my asset, but the fact that love works through me, the love of nature, the love of beauty, and the love of people all have something in common, and that, that I have that energy around me, and it works well for me as a therapist, indeed. And it works well for me as a painter. Now, I don't paint abstractly. I paint things that I love to look at. I paint nature. And um, because it gives me this exquisite experience of being outdoors, and I always paint entirely outdoors. I don't 
take photographs. I don't go back to the studio to paint. I paint in the most precarious, uncomfortable places, climbing over rocks with my, or be, with my feet in the water. But I'm out there loving what I'm looking at and translating it. And uh, that is almost, it's almost that way when I do therapy. I love to be with people, and I love the details of people. And I listen to them and watch them, and I get a sense of what the of the story they're living in, which will help me to see who's behind the story. And that's, uh, yeah. I love it. Before we talk, begin to talk about your work as a therapist, it's time for us to go to break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Rosander Staying. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more, and you're not going to want to miss it. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the Self Improvement Blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Roz Zander. She's a family therapist and ex- executive coach and a, the author of the new book, Pathways to Possibility. I'm going to um, change this next question. I wanted to ask you about your work as a family therapist and an executive coach, and I still do want you to tell us about that work. But during the break, we were having a, a conversation about how important love is in terms of healing and in your relationship with your client, I've knocked heads with therapists who said that you can't get involved 
in any way with your client. You have to keep a stiff arm's length distance emotionally, professionally with them. So tell us a little bit about your work and what you think about bringing love to your client. Well, by you just reminded me of a client um, who who had been seeing um, a psychoanalyst who thought she was very ill indeed, and and she came to me and said she'd like to transfer to to me and have me be her therapist. And I called up the psychoanalyst, and he said, "I think she's the sickest person I've ever seen." But she wasn't sick at all. What she was was somebody who was yearning to make contact, and he found that too difficult because he was trying to keep the rule, and it was driving her crazy and him crazy. So, so I said I'd take her on. The, the psychiatrist said, good luck. And she came to my office and sat down, and I could see the anxiety about connection going on here, so I went over and sat next to her <laughs> on this little sofa, and I put out my hand, and I said, here, let's hold hands, because that's what you'll be wanting to do, and let's do it so that we can get on. And I maintained this... It's, you see, I think that hierarchy, as though one person is better than another, is always lethal. You can have a role, and it's good to keep some boundaries so that various things don't happen, but that doesn't mean one person is better than another. And I, I have no trouble keeping the boundaries of what is healthy for a person, but I don't have to keep boundaries that keep people away from me or below me. And if I did, I wouldn't be able to truly provide the love, which is the medium for growth. And healing. And healing. The patterns that we develop are developed in the medium of love, and the patterns, in in order to, to change them or rewrite them, that has to be done in the medium of love. So... Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable with love. And, and if I had mean. a crowd of people, I would lead them in a standing ovation because you have expressed the thinking of my own heart about clients and therapy. Uh, and it's so refreshing to hear that. All my life in, in nursing and healthcare, I've been told that you do not get involved with patients but the only way you can help them heal is to get a little more involved and keep your boundaries. Absolutely yes. ba- have to keep the boundaries. I think you... that... Go ahead. The... Go ahead. Sorry. The way I've processed this over the years is I, I can talk about myself and have to talk about myself to clients, but I'm always conscious, is the story I'm telling for the client or is the story I'm telling just for me, showing off or something like that. And as long as you make that distinction and you realize you're telling stories that are helpful for healing and growth, you'll do fine. You don't have to be thinking about the boundaries. You can be thinking about the story you're telling. Exactly. And I've known therapists who told a lot of stories about themselves that had nothing to do (laughs) with helping. (laughs) Anyway, we won't go there. That's not the purpose of today. Yeah. Uh, you you also do some some seminars. You do visioning programs. 
Um, who can attend these? Well, I have to say that I'm not doing as many anymore because okay. of the writing. It took the last book, the book that we are talking about today called Pathways to Possibility, took me seven years to write. It's not an easy thing it's, it, to write. The first one took me five. Now, once I was engaged in this seven-year process, I couldn't be doing um, re- regular client work because there were too many things I had to investigate for this book. I went to Hawaii to talk to a physicist. I went to all over the world uh, on research. And, and clients need some sort of predictable schedule. Yes. So I pretty much retired from that. What I do do is um, three or four day workshops occasionally. I have a group that comes from Denmark, and, and they spend four days with me. They, they are a different group every year, and they come under a, a company called, um, uh, what did I, um, Pathfinders. I knew the word was close. Uh, and these are, this is a company that, that promotes self-development in, ah. for anybody joining the company. So I will do that kind of work. And I work with leadership teams of companies, the ones that really understand that the development of the people inside themselves in the company is as important, is as important as the work they do on the floor. And, you know, and, and people are finally beginning to understand how important that is. I'm so happy to see it. We've had several people on the show talking about just that thing. I, I want to say this. You said writing the book was really difficult, but reading the book is not. This is a delightful book. It's beautifully written, has wonderful examples, great stories, and you will take away so much from reading this book. So don't let the fact that Ross says it was hard to write uh, think that it was going to be hard to read because it's absolutely not. <laughs> Thank you. I think that's very important to me. In fact, it wasn't hard to write. It was challenging because it involves so many different stories from so many different fields. That's what it was. It took time. And the, it took it wasn't time. <laughs> the stories are, are wonderful and, and and meaningful. You know, what led you to write about possibility, and what does the word possibility mean to you? Now, remember, this is the second book I've written on right. possibility. The word possibility means to me, on a basic level, an attitude. It's an open, curious attitude towards life that says... Life is about what we do and create, and it, and it gets to be life is a story we tell. That really is possibility for me. It, and the feelings and the emotions behind the idea of possibility are always joy, interest, expansion, not fear. Now, fear comes from another paradigm, and fear is what we are pretty much born into because nature wants us to survive, and in order to survive, we have to avoid falling off cliffs and 
getting beaten up and were eaten by tigers. Yet, nowadays, human beings have survived beyond any calculation we could have made several generations ago. We have survived and covered the entire planet, taken it over, and so really, survival nowadays is about coming to terms with the fact that we have survived, and we don't have to go on acting as though we haven't, and acting as though things are scarce, that the resources in the world are scarce, and that that there's, there are dangers everywhere. Really, we live in a very safe world, and I know that's going to sound funny to people, because the news media and all we hear tells us that horrible things are going on. But we are, I mean, in this country, we are as, about as likely to be killed by a terrorist as we are to be struck by lightning. In fact, less likely. Less so, likely. But we still have to invent tigers to run from, it seems, <laughs> unfortunately. And that's what we do, because we're still living in the notion that life is about survival instead of about creativity. That's the shift into possibility. On the one hand, we're born into survival, and then we can grow into the notion that life is really about possibility and what we can build and make in our imaginations and the stories we can tell each other of healing and renewal. That's possibility. That's possibility. What's the over, what, what would you say is the overriding message of this new book of yours, Pathways to Possibility? Look into yourself, stay open, stay curious, and walk with spirit and love. Mm. Yes. How, how important are the stories we tell about ourselves and how close... Well, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to ask the question. How close to reality are the stories that we tell about ourselves? Um, well, reality is a sticky point here. Yeah, that, yeah it is a very <laughs> sticky point. There's a psychologist at Harvard named Steven Pinker who, who says, there's no reason to believe that what we see there's any resemblance whatsoever to what's out there. <laughs> I, I have to agree with that. <laughs> Don't you love it? Yes. <laughs> any resemblance whatsoever to what's out there. Now, wh- that is based on the idea that every living creature has a perceptual system that is designed for that creature to survive. And obviously, our perceptual system has got to be different than a snail's or a whale's. <laughs> or any other creature that lives in a different environment or is in a, lives on a different scale. So what those creatures see and what their sense of reality is, obviously is going to perhaps bear no resemblance to what ours is. There, we will never have real access to what is out there, to what is reality. So... Every story we tell is an attempt to get closer to what might be out there. That's what scientists are doing. They're discovering 
new and smaller particles and deciding that they're the smallest particle. Now we found it, but of course the next day somebody finds something smaller. There's no end to the investigation and we'll never reach the truth. However, some of the stories we tell ourselves are more suited to the world as it is now than are suited to our instincts and the past. And those are the stories I call adult stories. And the stories we tell about ourselves that we upgrade to be adult stories um, have certain characteristics. And I'd like to, yeah, we need to go to break. I want to talk about that when we come back. Um, (laughs) We're right on the edge of, you know, just some things that you really want to know about yourself. So stay tuned. We're going to be back with more with Roz Zander. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the Self Improvement Blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Roz Zander. She's the author of Pathways to Possibility, and we're talking about the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. <clears throat> we were talking a little bit about whether they resemble reality and decided that nothing does, so we'll go, we're going to move on from there. Um, you're saying in your book, that when we change our story about ourselves, we we can change ourselves. We can change ourselves. We can it can result in transformation. How how do you describe the transformation? You know, internal, external that can result from rewriting our stories. And, and how do you even identify the story that needs to be rewritten? Okay, this is, we've gotten ourselves into rather complex 
Yes, past, we have. <laughs> okay, let's see if I can sort it out. As children, with our ch- child minds in a dependent position, as children are, they're smaller and need help, um, we, this, our beliefs about reality, and I'm going to talk about stories as beliefs for a moment, our beliefs about the world tend to focus on how we're doing in the world. That is, is it my fault? It, when we see adults having difficulties, we tend to say, this relates to me. It's my fault, or it isn't. It's their fault. But it has to do with the fault thing. It's always the child at the center. And as our brains mature, we can do different things than that. We can put ourselves in the shoes of others, which a child really can't. Their brain can't do that yet. So we can see, oh, well, I thought that my father was saying I was stupid, but now maybe he wasn't really saying I was stupid. He was just eager to have me learn something new. You see, so, and then you can say that the adult can say about themselves, I had a great father who was always interested in my learning. But if you don't get beyond that child story, and many of us don't in many different areas, you go, grow up thinking of yourself as stupid because your father told you you were. And you can tell that that story is, is in need of transformation if every time you get near something that would require some intelligence or standing on your own feet as a, as a person with, with of ability, you feel a little fear, you feel a little stab wound, and you want to retreat. That's a story that needs upgrading. You can figure out what it is if you just take a time and say, I wonder what the origin of this one is. I don't seem to be confident about my intelligence. And then you can often go back and remember something like your father telling you you were stupid over something. Um, and that story is easily, easily transformed by, take, by broadening the frame. My father said I was stupid. Do you think that was all that was going on in that moment? And the more you start to broaden the frame and think about what your father might have been feeling or what your mother might have been feeling or whether they were having a dispute about something or something about a classmate, the more you'll find new material that you hadn't remembered. It'll come into your mind, and you can upgrade the story and say, no, that's not right. I'm not stupid. My father really wanted me to be smart and intelligent because he didn't feel he was, or something like that. You could come to it. Now, as soon as you come to an adult form of a child's story, you will start to smile. You'll see things you didn't see before. You you will um, relax, and you will no longer be triggered by questions of whether you're smart enough or not. Now, that's just a simple example. Maybe you can ask me another question. (laughs) Well, you know, as you were talking, I'm wondering what's happening to our children when they're bombarded with so much bad news. We were talking a little bit about that on the break. 
bad news on the television. Most of us watch the news at some point during the day. And these children hear about people being killed all over the world. Uh, they, they have to grow up to some extent thinking that it's really dangerous out there, scary place. Uh, and I wonder, you know, well, I agree how with all you. that's affecting them. You know, nobody except the TV is telling them that. But, hey, it's on TV. Doesn't it have to be true? No, and the proportion of what you're seeing is clearly not true because television has to put on things that they think are oh, going to oh, be yeah, interesting. I know, and, I know they're not true, but does a child. Yeah, and what does that, how, do they, how do they realize at some point that, that was, that's their story, that's their child's story? Well, they may... The first thing I want adults in this world to do is to turn off the television. Yeah. If you have children around, do not show ch- programs that have people being bombed in Syria. It, it cannot help them. So I'm very strong on that point. My, gran- my grandchildren don't have a television in the summer when they're up in Maine. I'm very happy with that. Um, my son has, you know, he... he- he has things like Netflix and, and movies. They, they're not allowed to see the news. They don't watch it. You know, he, gets it on, he gets it on his computer, but the children don't see it, and I love that. Yes, yes. Let's be kind to our children, for heaven's sakes. And, of course, they will build stories that, that don't um, have no perspective in them. The child will think... I mean, children can get very frightened by that sort of thing and not want to go out on the street. You, and then you have to sit with them and tell them about it and through love and caring, help them to shift the story. But if they don't have anybody to help them, then we, we are in trouble as a society, I, I really believe. Yeah, unfortunately, too many children are seeing this. Uh, I, I think my son is sensitive because at one point in his growing up, they practiced getting a, what to do if we were bombed. I don't know why they did that in that school, and he came home so frightened. And yeah. you know, I can't imagine what he would do if he had seen pictures of it on the news. Um, and I'm I'm not so sure that he hasn't. It doesn't still have some of that programming in yeah. him. Yeah. How do we know which of the child stories are holding us back? Is this something that you can get onto on your own, or do you need help from somebody who understands, you know, what's going on and can help you with, with the identification of that story? Well, it's it's. It takes a special skill to do it on your own. Um, a lo- uh, somebody who loves you but isn't trying to change you can help you with that. Um, it's, it's, I mean, therapists, if they know what they're doing, are good people to go and see because they can provide an atmosphere and, uh, that will help you see your own stories and what is out of proportion in what you believe. Um, I have learned, because I understand the elements of the change in story. See, the adult story, the story made up by an adult mind, 
is going to be have flexibility in it. It's not going to be about the adult and the way a child story is about always puts the child in the center. A story made up by an adult has much more perspective in it, has a sense that um, of, of multiple points of view, so you can you can try on different different stories to see which one seems to you most plausible and is most supportive to you. You should never walk around with a story that that puts you into resistance because resistance interrupts the flow of life, it interrupts relationship, it interrupts uh, your ability to move and with curiosity and at the pace that nature wants us to move. So if you ever notice yourself resisting something, then what I recommend is let go. Now, that is not changing a story, but it may change a story if you get able to do that. You're resisting something, you're resisting a person, you're resisting an idea, you're resisting uh, immigrants coming into the country as a block. Let go of the resistance. Then look around and make up your mind. Letting go is an important ability as an adult. Children will hold on with fierceness to whatever they think is fair or, or is right in the world. You don't. And I think, yeah. I think one of the hard places that we hit is when we grow to that place as an adult that we can form our own belief system, and yeah. yet there's the fear of letting go of what we were taught. Good to recognize and let go. And let go. You love that song, Letting Let Go, from that children's movie. <laughs> I can't think of, no. Yeah, letting go. Letting go is important. What kind, uh, ha- have you seen some just extraordinary transformations when people rewrite their story, if it was a story that really had significance in their being able to move forward? Oh, yes. Uh, yes, I mean, I have a story in the book about uh, that I was working with a group in, in um, I think it was in South Africa, although I may have made it a different location, and, and there was, I asked for stories from, these were just business people, they had, they had learned the ideas of the art of possibility, but they hadn't done any work themselves, and I asked if anybody had, um, was willing to, come forward and talk about anything that was holding them back. And one man said that he had been put up for promotion and wanted to be promoted, but he'd been overlooked time and time again. And he didn't understand why, because he thought he was doing the right job. So I asked him if, if there was, what was a memory of failure in his childhood? Did he remember making a mistake? making a mistake, because he, he had a cautious air about him. And I, and I found out, for, he started talking about mistakes he made in high school, but they didn't have the emotional tone of a kind of basic story. So I kept going back, and then you could see on him, on his face, and the whole group could see it, that he'd come to the right story. And it was that he was 
picking flowers from the garden outside his house for his mother. He was three years old. He was extremely excited about it. He thought of this idea that he could make a bouquet for his mother, and she would be so happy. And at that moment, his father came home from work and frowned and said, what are you doing picking the flowers in the garden? You, you stupid boy. And at that, yes, and at that moment he totally froze, and we could see it on his face. The whole group could see it. And we could see that he had made a, a belief about himself out of that moment. And he was three, you understand, so that's when those beliefs often get formed. Um, <clears throat> so, so we as a group just were, were very easy with him. We said, well, you know, your father told you you were stupid, but what else do you think might have been going on? And he joined. Other people said, well, maybe the father had just planted that garden and didn't want anybody to disturb it. And then somebody else said, maybe the father had had a bad day. All of which would be more apt for a grown-up story than that he was so stupid or so so apt to make the wrong decision. And then somebody suggested that maybe his parents were having a fight over him, and the father thought that the mother kind of was babying him. And at that moment, this guy's face changed entirely, and he began to smile, and he said, of course. And then he remembered all these kind of altercations that were going on between his parents over him, and he realized, of course it wasn't about me. It was about them. It was about them. And everything changed. And he became bold in the group. He took risks in the group. I don't know what happened to him in the company, but I can swear that the next time he was up for a promotion, he would have been easygoing. And, taken, and they would have seen that he could take ordinary risks. So I don't have a lot of data on what's happened with a lot of people, but I do see the molecular change that happens when a story is upgraded. Absolutely, and science now can can show you um, on brain scans and such how new neural pathways grow when you change your story. The old one just begins to fade away and the new one's formed and you become... You become that new story. You become the new story. You walk in a different world. Everything changes inside you and outside you. In the beginning of the book, you tell the story of Alan, and it's you know it's really quite a remarkable, touching story. Um, And you end with this statement: You say new habits are formed in an environment of love. Powerful statement. Can you, I'm sure you can form new habits where there isn't love, but it must be a struggle when it has to do with such big issues as some of the people in your book were dealing with. How can you come to change habits that are so important without an environment of love? Well, you, that's why I say it's good 
good if you want to really change something that's deep to to consult somebody who knows about these things and who has an openness to you, like a therapist. Not all therapists have it, though, but keep shopping until you find one. Keep shopping (laughs) until you find one. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Alan's story was very complex that started with a tiny little thing. It wasn't that tiny, but, you know, it's started with one thing and, and impacted his life in such a negative way. And I don't really want to give that story away because I think everybody should read that one. One of my favorite chapters in your book is the chapter on advice. The word on advice is mar- advice. Oh, yeah. The word advice is marked through like you mark a word to delete. You want to delete it, so you mark through it. And you say, we we human beings are absolutely riveted by the opportunity to diagnose a situation out there and get it right. We're going to fix it. And you say, we can't do that. (laughs) Talk a little bit about advice. I I think what you have to say is so rich. (laughs) Well, the reason advice doesn't work terribly well is that you're taking your own story and trying to get somebody else to buy into it. But they have their own. So so you're trying to overwhelm them with your perspective. Now, you don't think it's your perspective. You think you've diagnosed another person's problem perfectly, and they ought to do what you're telling them to do. But what you're telling them to do has nothing to do with their world or, or what works for them. And so people get into quite deep struggles over, over somebody, you know, one person thinking the other person's just stubborn. No. And, and there's a story in it in which, um, in, in which I think the story in the advice chapter had to do with a, a man who was telling me that his wife was a wonderful cabinet maker, but that she, had, she was insecure and needed to believe in herself more, and the fact that she didn't was weighing on, their, um, on the, the household budget. She just wasn't asking enough money or she wouldn't sell her stuff, and he was just trying to get her self-esteem raised up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remembered in that moment how I had gone to a, a doctor because I had poison ivy and was trying to tell him that the cream I was using just wasn't working on it. And he said to me, maybe that's because you don't have poison ivy. I always remembered that. What? I was sure I had poison ivy. I knew poison ivy from childhood. Anyway, so I was able to tell this man, well, maybe she doesn't lack self-esteem. I mean, you're batting your head against the wall with this story that she lacks self-esteem. Maybe she just didn't want to sell her stuff. Maybe she's not interested. And out of that came a different path for him. He could be the salesman and take pictures of the, her, her work, and she could just not pay attention to the sales and let him price everything, and uh, it worked perfectly for them. 
Yeah, I think of so many marriages where the husband tries to remake the wife or the wife tries to remake the husband by giving them advice on how they should be. (laughs) You really can't tell anybody else how they should be. What's next, Roz? What's next for you? Yeah. I'm sorry, Irene, I interrupted you. Oh, that's okay. What's next for you? What's coming up next? Well, um, maybe you can retire. Well, I'll never retire, Irene. Yeah. I'm do, I do a lot of things. We don't I'm do that with a partner now who contributes um, very broadly to the world, and and so I. I mean, we're we're doing we're we're funding through him, not through me. Um, uh, groups that want to save the elephants and the rhinos from being oh, encroaching, nice. and we are funding um, lands to be put into uh, national parks and to save the environment, and and also uh, funding human service. Then you have you you are a busy lady. I am a very busy lady. I want to recommend to the reader, to the listeners, to get the book Pathways to Possibility by Rosamond Stone Zander. It's a wonderful read. You'll learn so much about yourself. You'll learn so much about your story. Roz, what's the thought you want to leave with our listeners today? We're right up to the end of the show. Well, (laughs) talking to you makes me want to underscore how important an atmosphere of love is. There's no reason to break with anybody over anything. You can go on loving and still speak your mind and remember that your mind is your mind and isn't their mind. So interactions between people need have no barriers in them, and I want to encourage people to discover that. Oh, what wonderful words to leave with the listeners today. Thank you so much for being with us today. I've loved every word of it. And I've loved (laughs) talking with you and having you ask me questions and hearing about your life, Irene. So this is wonderful. Well, we'll probably have new stories the next time we talk. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Roz Zander saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.